0: Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps, and they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders." No one could hear the song except the 1, and four, uh, sorry, one, 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image, or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God, who keeps his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. I looked And there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. He who was seated on the clouds swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great wine, great wine press of God's wrath. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses' bridles for a distance of one thousand six hundred stadia.
1: Thank you. Admiral, welcome. Sorry I was a bit late. Blew another air hose on the Pajero, but I'm here. It's good. How about you? I didn't miss anything too, too important. Now, I wonder, you can share this as we uh, uh, enjoy our early lunch together, but what's the most, I don't know, audacious or outrageous thing you've ever done, you know? You've had a moment and you've, had, you've uh, done something outrageous or audacious. I just want to play this and uh, see if you can oh, yeah. tell me. Yeah. Hey, Mr. President, do you think the
0: castle well? I feel very confident. I feel Kershaw a great, great pitcher, but uh, we got too many sticks. We got too many sticks. Really? Yeah. yeah. And at home, with our crowd, the weather. Yeah. We also we get
1: a little bit of autumn in Chicago, you don't get that in Los Angeles. Trees just die. <laughs> in, uh, in Illinois, they flourish. They, they perform. They took
0: all the beauty of nature.
1: Cool. So, who's that? Bill Murray, where is he? I missed all that. <laughs> the Chicago Cubs. Where, where is he? What, yeah, so this is, was, uh, he went in there to receive a reward for something else. And while he was in there, the Chicago Bulls made it into Cubs. Well, not Chicago Cubs. So you get it mixed up here. They, uh, I don't follow baseball at all. But um, they made it into the playoffs. And he, just, he goes into this press walks in there and just holds his press conference so if you notice they called him Mr President uh, and everything it goes on and on it's very it's quite funny but it's it's sort of it's an outrageous example I think of if you want to call it fan loyalty uh, someone who's been waiting a long long time uh, for a win and of course this week what happened they won came from behind Bill Murray uh, continued the uh, outrageous asking he went to the mayor and said that this day forever should be a public holiday in the city of Chicago, all kids, day off school, um, first time ever uh, that they did it. Now, as I said, I'm just, I don't follow um, baseball at all, not particularly interested in it, um, but uh, when I saw this, it just caught my imagination, caught my attention, just because of it was outrageous, it was passionate, um, and he just wanted the whole world to know his team, his team had won. Uh, that's the heart of this chapter, it's the heart of the book of Revelation, Jesus has won, to be a Christian is to be a winner, um, but uh, of course what that looks and sounds like while we wait for Jesus to return um, is, uh, can be very tough at times. I want to uh, begin by introducing you to another, uh, another man who uh, was a passionate follower of a different kind, a passionate follower of Jesus. Um, so we've got a photo here, does anyone know who that is? Okay, it's, it's all right. Um, he had not always been a passionate follower of Jesus, as you can you, you might imagine. He wasn't. Uh, he grew up in the 80s. Uh, so anyway, he was raised Roman Catholic, and it was while working as a Roman Catholic priest in Gloucestershire. Did I say that right, Colin? Oh, Sharon, excellent Gloucestershire in the UK. He got his hands on one of the first printed copies of erasmus's greek new testament okay um and the year was 1522 so printing was just starting now here he is he's reading his greek new testament and uh this 28 year old man page after page discovers that the diet of grace that he's been raised on in the roman catholic church is profoundly different to the grace that he's reading about here in the Greek New Testament. The grace about God's free con- uh, forgiveness in Jesus because of his death. And so as he's wrestling with these things he's starting to talk about what he's reading in his Greek New Testament. He's having dinner parties with fellow Catholic priests and scholars uh, until one day they really have a go at him and then um, it's recorded uh, at one dinner party he threw these words they were like hand grenades into the middle of this dinner party so he's still working as a roman catholic priest this is what he said i defy the pope and all his laws if god spares my life here many years i will cause a boy that drives a plow to know more of scripture than the pope Do you know who we're talking about yet yeah william Tyndale. william Tyndale. And uh, it's because of him we have this. Because of him we have this. Now, I'll just give you a little background. It was so significant about this man because for 1,000 years, the only translation of the Hebrew and Greek Bible was in Latin. And not many people could speak Latin or read it. Um, It was for uh, scholars and, of course, Roman Catholic priests. So for 1,000 years, now that's a long time, isn't it? For 1,000 years, people on planet Earth, um, were, the, the Bible was inaccessible to them, except um, if it was explained to them by a priest or a scholar. But you would go to, you'd go to Roman Catholic Mass and, of course, it was all in Latin, you see. And it's still that way in some places today. Now, soon after uttering these words, because they were fighting words, uh, he, he, he had to leave England for his life. His life quickly came under threat. And so he found his way to a town called Worms in Germany and there he began translating the Greek New Testament into English and his conviction, one simple conviction, that every human being should be able to read the Word of God, should be able to read about God's grace for them in the Bible, in their own language, in their own tongue. Uh, And I mean how good, Shana's good news today, hey, 100%, that's just amazing. Four years after uttering these words, Tyndale had finished translating the Greek New Testament into English, started printing copies, and because God never wastes anything in your life. He grew up in Gloucestershire, um, where it was the place of um, bales of cloth were put together, and so he smuggled these New Testaments back into England from Europe in bales of cloth. And that's how we got 3,000 copies into England in the first year. Uh, Now, King Henry VIII was angry his advisors were angry his chief advisor was profoundly uh roman catholic uh, in his in his teaching um anything that promoted luther's reformation teachings they hated it was found it was burnt but in 1531 the year 1531 the king's advisor um commissioned a merchant a man called stephen vaughan to go and find Tyndale in europe and deliver a letter from the king He finally found Tyndale and in a letter that was written back to the king's advisor, he wrote about Tyndale after spending some days with him. I find him always singing one note, always singing one note. And what was that note? A Bible in the common language for the people of England. Now, uh, seven years by this time, Tyndale had been away from family, from friends, not allowed to return home. Um, because he had to leave in such a hurry and and so when he opened a letter from the king this was part of what the letter said the king's royal majesty is inclined to mercy pity and compassion all is forgiven come home Uh, he was reduced to tears what did he do what should he do we'll come back to that at the end of this talk um But as we get into Revelation, it sets up what this chapter is all about, uh, that we might find our melody. Find your note, your song, And once you've found it, don't stop singing it. And of course, for us, it's the melody of grace. Revelation is written to remind local churches that with Jesus we're backing a winner. Remember, it's not a puzzle book, it's a picture book. Um, uh, It's a sensory overload book. And it's doing one simple thing, showing us over and over again like a stack of pancakes um, the implications of God's victory at Jesus' cross, the implications of Jesus' cross for history and for humanity, the implications of Jesus' cross um, for all the people and the powers in heaven and on earth. Now remember last week uh, we started this sort of, um, this seven symbolic histories. We looked at the first four, the history of the dragon, the woman, the beast and the the False Prophet, from chapters 12 and 13. This week we're looking at the last three characters or key histories. They're symbolic. We've got the 144,000. Uh, we've got the angelic messengers. And then we've got the Son of Man and his eternal gospel harvest. And just to remind us, or if you weren't here, chapter 12 uh, was really all about Jesus' great victory. Uh, we endure, we, we, we have the victory, we overcome, we conquer. How? How? by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, the word of the gospel. Uh, The church looks weak. It always looks weak in the world. But the thing about local churches, about Christians in local churches, we've already won. Revelation 13, remember, was all about um, showing us something of Satan's great counterfeit. And so the application was for Christians, wise up. Be wise, be vigilant, stay alert, pray look out for one another and so this week we look at the great divide great victory great counterfeit great divide Uh, and as we heard chapter 14 is all about eternity all about living finding that song and living it always with eternity in mind and so let's dip straight in there's an outline there Um, four titles each with the word eternal the first section God's eternal seal it's about the 144,000 look with me verse one then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads um don't know if you've ever done this you know mucked around with stamps you know on your head or your forehead or something like that but that's what's on view here Now, just remember, we know this already, uh, that the 144,000 symbolise all the people of God who are and will be saved. Uh, It's communicating that God knows every person by name, every person who will be saved and is being saved. is known by name, by God. They're numbered. Um, Everyone who's meant to be there will be there. Uh, To be sealed with God's name, of course, it's the mark of, possession it's the mark of ownership and god's seal equals god's sure thing god's sure thing saved and safe verse two um does john hear? okay we're going to try something we haven't never tried before the preacher interacting here with audio let's have a go Sharon. and try the next slide see if this works so what he heard was like the sound of rushing waters with thunder. It's coming, wait for it. Rushing waters, thunder. Would like the sound as well as many people playing harps as well. But if that's not enough. On top of all that will the people singing as well. So That'll fade out. Here we go. Um, thanks to Aaron for that. It's the, uh, it's the Song of Grace. The Song of Grace we love to sing. Um, again, it's just a glimpse, you know, visual, auditory. It's just, John's vision, it was sensory overload. Um, now, who are the redeemed? Who are the redeemed here? Um, well, we, they're displaying, if you like, a cluster of symptoms, the redeemed, aren't they? Um, We're told some things that Christians, people who are saved and being saved, uh, this is what sort of stands them out. They love to get together, to sing about God's grace, to give thanks and honour and glory to God and the Lamb. Uh, They don't just sing out God's salvation though, but they show it. Um, They're putting off the old life, putting on the new life. They're living lives of holy... um, and lives of love and purity Um, if you like christians stand out in the crowd Uh, you can pick them if you listen and you look Uh, they stand out in their passion in their devotion to jesus uh, and the conduct in their relationships there's a certain shape to the christian life isn't there and it's all a response to god's grace everything is a response to god's grace nothing to earn god's grace everything in response to God's grace. And of course, this is what William Tyndale discovered as he started reading the Greek New Testament. It's all grace, it's all gift. And I was trying to think of an example of what this looks like. And um, the thought came to mind of someone who, um, for whatever reason, um, is going to die unless they receive an organ transplant. Now, I don't know if you know anyone who's ever been in that situation. But of course, you can only go on and be saved from your death through the death of another. Interesting article earlier this year with uh, a man, some of you might recognise, who received a liver transplant. Um, Some question whether he deserved it as the way he lived his life as an alcoholic, but he did. He received a liver transplant. And the reason this uh, article is here is because his previous partner um, dobbed him in, if you like. There are certain things that people who receive a donated organ the way they show their gratitude to the living to the family of the deceased Um, uh, that is you don't drink alcohol Uh, you look after um, the organ especially your liver and uh, this is written because it turned out that Darren uh, was back drinking alcohol and things like this and it's in it's the article is in the paper as um What sort of responsibility does a person have having received such, such a precious gift and received a second chance at life? Now, of course, uh, the thing about receiving an organ transplant is that you are saved to die another day, um, and it doesn't change um, that death that we all need to confront and wrestle with and where we will spend eternity. But this is here to remind us of the gift we have and what it means for us to live as christ's people in response to that grace in response to being saved to being with god and with the lamb now let me say of course as we look out and um it's it's not as to sort of second guess you know you're saved you're not you know to go around pronouncing judgments of where people may or may not be in their relationship to jesus um god can do that because he can see into people's hearts Uh, he can see the future from the beginning Um, But what Jesus does in the Bible here in Revelation and in this chapter is he's always just telling it as he is, isn't it? He just tells it as it is. That is, he's always wanting to confront us um, with the ultimate issues that we might know so we can make wise choices, um, confronting us with the ultimate issues because ultimate issues surely should be what dominate and control our lives. And how vivid um, is the great divide between the redeemed and the not yet? Um, We would have heard here, there's some pretty confronting stuff in this chapter, isn't there? Uh, Jesus tells it as it is. The redeemed and those who currently aren't, and what will happen if they're not? And so I want to just take our eyes down to point three, God's eternal divide. God's eternal divide. I could have called that point God's eternal judgment. But it's just as we think about the contrast between the two people, the two groups. Have a look with me, verse 9. And a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They'll be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. As he Jesus discloses a sharp contrast. The Lamb's followers, they sing a new song. Uh, those worshipping what is not God, they have no soul, no rest, no relief. The Lamb's followers are sealed with God's name. They're safe for eternity. The beast's followers are branded with his mark and are heading for torment in eternity. Now we saw last week that the beast is Satan, the great counterfeiter. He's the one behind all lies, all deceptions, um, all idolatry. And he's also the one behind all false knowledge about God, uh, all false knowledge about the worth of a human being and about the world. Uh, he's the father of lies, is the beast. Now just before moving on, there's one myth that I think it's good for us to be clear here. When um, thoughtful and well-meaning Christians uh, read texts and passages like this, um, there's a growing inclination among some to try to, what I call do, um, hermeneutic gymnastics. Uh, to sort of make this say what it doesn't, to change it, that it can't mean this. And you've got a, you've got, you've got a, a sort of, a, it's a picture, if you like, of Dante's hell, you know, we're probably familiar with, um, with, with Dante's hell. I've got a, a picture here, if you're not. Uh, but here, hell is pictured not as separation from God, Notice. But experiencing the full measure of God's anger and his wrath, notice who's there in the judgment? God, the Lamb, and the angels. Changes up our view about Jesus somewhat. Their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast. Um, So this idea of annihilationism, you know, just you die and that's it, it's nothingness. Um, It's it's, it's hard to, to sort of, come to that conclusion when we read passages like this remember and you can read this for yourself Luke chapter 16 he tells a parable about a uh, a shrewd steward uh, but then he tells a parable about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus Uh, in Luke 16 Jesus teaches of the great unbridgeable chasm between hell and heaven um, once you've died uh, and the rest the rest of Lazarus who's in heaven with God as contrasted with the rich man, torment of God's fury in hell. Um, and Jesus says in this parable, there's a great divide, there's a great chasm uh, and there's no crossing over once you've died. The, the parable ends on a, on a sharp note with the rich man begging for, for sort of someone to come over and just to sort of you know, wet his mouth. And Jesus, we can't. But once, once, once you've died, that's it there's no crossing over uh, he then begs Jesus in the parable begs God in the parable to please send someone to warn his family who are still alive uh, and Jesus replied in the parable he says look even if I send someone who rises from the dead that they won't believe, it won't change no 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 they've got the bible they've got the scriptures that's enough If they do not believe the scriptures, they will not believe a miracle worker, even someone rising from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, and this is hard stuff to read and to wrestle with, um, and especially on a day like today. Uh, But like the rich man in Jesus' parable, uh, I don't know about you, but all of us, I I think, as I I look around, I was thinking about it today. We all have people uh, dear to us who uh, once were and are not or are not yet walking currently with Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. And that's hard. That's really hard. But friends, if Jesus' teaching about eternity is reality, if he's teaching truth, if he's teaching reality, uh, it should be hard, shouldn't it? Uh, it should disturb us. Uh, it should shape our choices, how we love. It should steal our resolve. Uh, Shouldn't it spur us on uh, just to keep gathering? Shouldn't it take us to our knees to keep praying, to never give up? As the sermon outline visualises, on the one side of the divide, we've got followers of Jesus. They're sealed, they're assured of salvation. Um, And they're the standouts, trying to faithfully live the Jesus lifestyle. On the other side of the divide are people marked with the mark of the beast, people who are busy, 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 trying to find life and meaning, significance in things that are less than and not God. And between these two groups, of course, we have the voice of the eternal gospel, the eternal gospel being proclaimed, the first angel. The only way a human being can cross this great, eternal divide have a look with me verse six then i saw another angel flying in midair he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth to every nation tribe language and people he said in a loud voice fear god give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come worship him who made the heavens the earth the sea and the springs of water Uh, The first angel, it's the first message, it's the most important message, it's the message of deepest longing, God's deepest longing, and it's one of salvation, isn't it? Heaven will be full and this message must keep going out to the nations. It's a reminder that only the eternal gospel of Jesus, uh, that alone is the bridge, that alone is the power of God to transfer a human being from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his Son, whom God loves. The gospel involves turning to Christ. Now, repentance and faith, it's not the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus, Jesus' is Lord, what he's done on the cross. But of course, without repentance and faith, there's no benefit from the gospel, is there? And whether it's the sweet grace of forgiveness in Jesus or the scary realism of God's eternal judgment in Jesus... I think why both of these things are here side by side is because God in his love is willing to do anything to get people's attention. Some people, like drawing blood, are sort of you know, drawn to Jesus through the sweetness of his grace. But there are some people who need to be scared into the kingdom. They need to know what's coming. Fear God and give him the glory. And it's, as I said, to every language group, every tribe and nation. Um, I should just let you know at this point, Hosea has had to go back to Sydney for three months to work, to earn money. He's been accepted into Bible College of South Australia. He'll be back in, um, uh, in February. but That's why he's not here. But I was thinking, and I've probably missed some people, but we've got England, Canada, France, US, Papua New Guinea, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, China, Kenya, South Africa, We've even got New Zealanders here, haven't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, God's gathering the nations right here. That's what he's doing everywhere, you know, in local churches. It's um, Paul and I have got this relationship. Anyway, um, can anyone remember who this is? have got a photo, Sharon. Is it, is it there? Well, it's hard to see. That girl on the right. Lisa, yeah. Lisa Laurent. Um, now... I want to share something beautiful. that happened uh, last week. Um, Ella, Ella was Skyping Lisa to practice her French. Um, and she had a French oral exam last week. And at the end, Lisa goes, can I pray for you? And so she prayed for Ella in French. And this girl, non-Christian parents, her closest connection with, with church was her Roman Catholic grandmother going um, a few times to, to church with her, being scared out of her wits because of death, um, she comes to um, has this has Ella come and uh, live with her, um, where she gets exposed to and witness to about Jesus. She comes out here with many many questions. This is with us, and of course, it's because of all of you. It's how God used His family here. The way she was loved, your witness, your salt, your light. Um, That just before she left, she made a public declaration of faith at TBE um, and is continuing to try to go on with her new faith. She discovered God's grace. And that's how it happens. Isn't it beautiful? God's bringing the nations always to us. In my letter, I've written about Christopher Wright. He sums it up in his book, The Mission of God. He says this about the local church. It's not so much the case that God has a mission, for his church in the world. We might, yeah, we do have that quote here, great. Uh, mission, for his church in the world. As God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And of course, how did the gospel start? Jesus doesn't just call people to follow him, but to come and fish with him, doesn't he? Fish for people. To become a Christian is to be automatically commissioned as a fisher of people with Jesus. Brings us lastly to God's eternal harvest. Verse 14, verse 14, God's eternal harvest. I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Uh, Who is the one like a son of man? Jesus. Uh, He's seated, he's got a golden crown. Uh, imagery that he has all authority and power in heaven and on earth to save and to judge Uh, we heard two harvests we heard a harvest of grain and a harvest of grapes that's a picture from Joel chapter 3 Joel chapter 3 like two sides of the one coin they're two aspects of the one judgment Um, there's one gospel one Jesus the judge who's the savior the savior who's the judge the grain is the harvest of people who've chosen Jesus in their lifetime. The grapes are those who have resisted and refused to turn to Jesus. Uh, again, powerful imagery, isn't it? The finish off, it's really confronting. It, the chapter finishes on, on a note of that great divide. Uh, and it, it, this is the great divide that will be revealed when Jesus returns. It's a stark picture of the choice every human being always has and faces, a stark picture of two eternal destinies. I just want to draw your attention, though, down to verse 15, the second half. Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, Jesus said those words before, hasn't he? I've got here from Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is white, ripe. It's, it's the same image, the same language. That is, there's a sense that the future is brought forward in jesus cross it's been brought forward in the gospel that future that divide is brought forward whenever we hold out the gospel to someone they've got a choice always of how they can respond and look the lord of the harvest is hearing and answering our prayers when it comes to gospel workers Uh, we're sending on we're sending out tim and Chantel, jamie and asia and shana uh, which is just phenomenal god's kindness we had the highest quota of people to CV this year, um, all people coming back enthused and shaped by God's grace and wanting to step up and serve even more. And you read the document here, read the vision document, and please take the time to do that. Uh, For me, the really exciting stories of grace in one sense are the Pams and the Robins and the Grahams and the Stevens and others who are just being enlivened To serve in other ways, in new ways, in deeper ways in response to God's grace. Look the takeaway question I think from this chapter and it's a helpful question I think um, for a day like today as we think about next year and beyond for us is have you determined to live with eternity in mind yet? Will we continue to make choices in the coming uh, days and weeks and months ahead? as we plan and look to 2017 and 2018 with eternity in mind. Because it seems to me what Jesus is teaching here, what he's disclosing to us, is that God's eternal harvest is happening right now. Right now in the preaching of the gospel, where people will spend eternity, it's being disclosed in our daily choices, our decisions, things that we determine we will live for. Um, I was thinking of of an example. It's a little bit like, I think, um, you know, you can be pretty confident you won't have superannuation to retire on if you're not putting it away now. Uh, It's a given. And it's a little bit like what's going on here, I think. And so three takeaways in light of that is back to verses 12 and 13, 12 and 13, which is to hear Jesus, that to know this, to be reminded of this great divide. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God, who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Um, And notice 12 and 13 come just after all the stuff about God's wrath and and judgment as well. How do these stark passages about God's wrath and judgment, I mean, how on earth do they spare on Christians to endure? Um, Well, In disclosing just how horrible it is to fall into God's hands, uh, to his anger in eternity, Uh, is not Jesus reminding us about the anger that he endured in his cross? Is he not actually taking us to his cross? Where he endured uh, for sinful human beings, for all who would come to him, he endured the full and complete eternal wrath of God forever, you and I, and for his elect everywhere. Is he not helping us to understand the suffering that he endured? What he went to in order to save sinners like us? Jesus experiencing this this end time wrath of God, so that we never have to. You see, to be a Christian is to never ever have to experience anger like this ever, in life or death. That's what we've been saved from. It reminds us that it's personal. Our Sin is always personal uh, when it, with God. And so as we spend some time meditating on this, how does it p- help put in perspective uh, any suffering we might have to endure as Christians in this lifetime? For the sake of the lost, for the sake of God's glory, uh, for the sake of enduring well. Surely, It pales into insignificance when we look at the suffering of the cross. It helps us begin to see how it is Christians who've gone before us were able to endure with all joy in believing for the sake of others. Have a read of Acts 16, Luke 16, Acts chapter 16. Remember Paul and Silas get beaten with rods. They just converted Lydia, a slave. The owners are angry. Get beaten with rods thrown into prison, into like confinement, put in stocks. Um, And it's midnight and we're told they're singing hymns and praying. Uh, And then God releases them and and more people get saved, the jailer gets saved. But um, how does it help us understand? It's only as we look and consider the great divide and what Jesus endured on the cross. It's all about the cross. We've got to keep coming back to the cross. Uh, Drilling deeper into all that God has done there for us for that grace. And so the second takeaway verse is verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Your deeds will follow you. Now, remember, there are seven beatitudes, seven blessings in the book of Revelation. But it brings us back to Tyndale, always singing one note. He was moved to tears by the king to come home. What did he do? Well, he held firm to his gospel convictions and he sounded off his one note again. I'll give myself up to the king if he will authorise a vernacular English Bible from the original language for the people. The king refused. Tyndale never went home. Uh, Three years later, uh, they sent some assassins. They found him. They killed him in Europe. By 1534 uh, Tyndale had revised his translation because he'd read the Hebrew as well, uh, that had informed his Greek uh, and if, this is what um, people say about that 1534 translation If Tyndale was always singing one note, a Bible in the language of the people then his 1534 New Testament was the crescendo of the song of his life uh, As I said um, he was killed um, and you think how his deeds followed him was because of him. Uh, England got the Bible in their own language. The Reformation came to English, to, to England. It's came, uh, has come to the world. Uh, he's died to himself, died to those nostalgic longings to go home, stretched those relationships for the sake of bringing the gospel to others. And I think the question that Tyndale asks of us is, what is your melody? What are you living for? What's your song? What do you want to be remembered for? When you die, what deeds will follow you? And so how will you respond to God's grace this year and the next as we look to start a new church? We know the story of John Newton, slave trader saved in the belly of a uh, slave ship in a storm, saved by grace to go on and serve in the most astounding ways in response to God's grace. Um, Up the back... You'll see some books, which please take one if you'd like to. Uh, With young people and our trainees, we're giving them all these All for the Kingdom books, booklets. And what they are is a a really little exercise book to help people who want to think more deeply about how to live their lives well in response to God's grace. And um, it it started with what John Newton did. Um, John Newton, he decided to set aside six weeks on his 33rd birthday just to read the Bible a bit more, to pray, talk to people and journal what God's grace meant to him and how, whether he should go into full-time ministry or not and how he should respond to God's grace. And this book is not just for people like full-time gospel workers. Um, it says very clearly uh, over and over again that to not go into full-time gospel work is not to be a second-class Christian. The Bible never ever says that, just that some people, should be set aside by God's people into full-time ministry. And there are some really helpful practical exercises in this. Um, It asks questions like, uh, what does God say about ministry? Um, How am I wired? Where do I plug in? What opportunities are there? Uh, What does my pastor think? My peers, people who I minister to, Where to from here? It's got a helpful little ministry plan in the back. Uh, But what I wanted to bring to your attention, which which is something that I think we can remember and jot these down in the back, um, is others have thought about this. Uh, Bill Hybels, he runs a church, a big church, and whenever people ask him about what ministry they should do, he says three things, three things, you ready? Uh, Passions, uh, just what do you care about? What ministry is it that, that you really care about? Is it kids? Is it evangelising mums? Is it high school students? Is it, is it visiting? Um, what is it? What's your passion? What do you like? What, what's your passion? Uh, what's your personality? Um, do you like people or not? You good at administration or not? I'm so thankful we have Alex in the office. Um, uh, but in, introverted, extroverted. What's your personality? And what gifts? has god given you what intellect what training what talents what gifts how might you be excited to use them to serve the gospel in response to god's grace we've got some spares up the back please just take one if you want to have a look what we've been talking about today is you need to be saved by god's grace if you haven't been you need to respond if you haven't for us for for those who have been saved, we need to commit ourselves to continue to be shaped by God's grace, to read the scriptures that Tyndale died, that we might be able to read them in our own language, to keep in fellowship, uh, to keep stepping in and stepping up in service rather than pulling back. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes to Christians everywhere, let people see your progress, see your progress looking for those opportunities to share the gospel and the obligation we all have to be sacrificially partnering, giving financially, going without that others might have the gospel and be with us in heaven. Uh, What I want to suggest is we make November all for the kingdom month. Uh, When you think about your passions, your personality, your gifts, where you do an exercise like John Newton went through, all of us in your own way, The next four weeks, November, all for the Kingdom Month, as we think and pray together, uh, talk about it in your groups uh, towards the end of November. Share how you're going to be shaped, how you're going to serve. Share and talk about these things as we, with God's help and with each other's help, seek to live next year always with eternity in mind. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, this is such an encouraging chapter at one level, uh, just the, the salvation, the safety and the security of your people, but it's also a sobering chapter as we're confronted with the realities of the great divide, uh, those two eternal destinies. And as we bring to people to mind now, people in our lives, on our hearts, people that you've put in our path, uh, we pray you would help us uh, to persevere, to love, to pray, just to, to to never give up because you're the God of second chances. We pray you would be pleased to keep using us to take the gospel to the nations. Uh, Thank you for the opportunities you've given us this year and the way you have used us already. Uh, So, Father, we pray you would help us to just keep giving ourselves more and more uh, to you in response to your grace and that people would see and hear clearly our melody, our song, our note in Jesus name i mean people might come to know God's grace